Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a big show for you this week. We're going to get ready for the first round of the NFL playoffs. We're going to be joined today by Daryl Slater of the Star-Ledger. We spoke to Daryl last year about the Super Bowl. This year, we're talking to Daryl before the first round of the playoffs, talking a little Jets, a little Giants, preview some of the fun wildcard matchups ahead. That conversation is coming in just a bit. We are also going to do our... Wild card round picks. I'm going to be joined by Charlie Borges, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. We talked to him back in week two. Look back on the Buck season. Make picks for all six games of the weekend. You'll get all your picks there. Also, stay stick around till the end of the podcast for a special new segment we're starting here. Don't have a name for it yet. We're still working on that. We'll be crowdsourcing it. But we're going to dive into the world of Star Wars again. We're going to talk to Pete Considori, Nick Freyetta. We talked about the Mandalorian finale podcast. We're going to Take a look back, get ready for more Star Wars Expanded Universe coverage coming up. But we'll get all started with this week's opening tip. And it's a good one for the Jets. Adam Gates is gone. I'm going to break it down with Will Schneiderhand, unofficial co-host of the podcast, right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here. All right, we are back here on the podcast talking New York Jets football on the opening tip, and we have some news. The Jets have made a coaching change. Adam Gaze is gone. Join me today, our official host of the podcast and the host of his own podcast, the Green Skies Podcast. Will Schneider is here. Will, how are you? I'm good, Mike, and uh, I can put a uh, face to a name, right? I, yes. I don't think we've ever done this. <laughs> this is our, no. first, our first time doing this. I mean, like... You, I mean, the audience can put some faces and names now. I mean, you've seen Pete Contador, you've seen Sam DeRosa, you've seen Nick Frietta. I won't count yeah. Mike Borkinov's a face, but but like he does the first Zoom on here. But you and I now are officially on the Zoom level. Yes, took a after a long uh, long journey of uh, just doing the uh, the typical way. But yeah, I'm happy to be here, and uh, you all get to see the uh, what my room looks like. So consider yourselves lucky. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, you, you are lucky indeed, and right now we are getting ready for an offseason, and we did have some big breaking news over the weekend. Adam Gase officially fired after going 9-23 and in two seasons with the Jets, and Christopher Johnson made the decision to even wait until Black Monday. Well, he got it out of there Sunday night. It's funny. Didn't they do the same thing with Todd Bowles? I, they did. I, 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 so, like, I have a funny tidbit. I think I told you guys this. When I was in Newsday, I interned at Newsday from like September 2018 to literally the uh, December 30th, 2018. And I think that's when the Jets season, it was an earlier calendar. Yes. So like in New Year. So it was that day, it was week 17. And I can't remember, did they play Buffalo? It was or New England. England. Right? It was it, in, New it, in New England. Same exact scenario. They, had fl- they flew back, landed, fired him. And I remember the intern and I, I was in Newsday doing the digital stuff. So we're working on the website for sports and stuff. And um, he, the intern and I are looking at each other, like it's our last day. Like 
please do not fire this guy tonight because then it's like, you know, articles, all the Jets beat, everybody, the whole newsroom is like panicking, getting stuff up. And, oh, my gosh, we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, um, my supervisor messages us, on, messages us on Slack and goes, all right, Todd Bowles was fired. Uh, go to the back desk and, like, make sure all this is going. And I'm like, oh, like, wait <laughs> till Monday. And that's all I thought in this situation is, you know, Pandemic permitting, there's probably two interns at Newsday who, for finishing up their, their shift, thinking the same thing we were, and then uh, and then they fired him. So yeah, I just um, I mean, you kind of knew it was going to happen, obviously, right? And uh, unfortunately for him, he just did not follow up a season where yes, yeah, seven to nine last year, and they played good in that little streak that they had, and just I mean, nothing, nothing good this year, nothing good. <laughs> I will say it's nice, and you got to feel like, as Jet fans, we finally get to have a little party here. <laughs> We're celebrating, man, because you, you know what? He's gone. This is so stupid, and it's a Jet fan. You're sitting there like, what took them so long? Because I feel like any Jet fan with a pulse could have told you he was hired two years ago. This is going to end up being the eventual outcome. Yeah, it just it never really had that like kick to it, and um, I I know Christopher Johnson who was involved and like he did the whole um, didn't he have like Charlie Casserly and somebody else like involved with like kind of vetting the that, option? That was a that was a couple of cycles ago. That was Woody. Okay, my fault then. Yeah. I, what regardless, just didn't yeah get it right, and, and I gave Christopher some credit because Christopher Johnson in that release he kind of admittedly was like you know didn't work you know we thought it was going to go one way yada 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 and uh you swing and misses sometimes and unfortunately this was definitely a swing and a miss and i think like you go back like you said you just know that that wasn't really the right guy so okay here we are you move on and now you uh it's weird because like you said like after such a you know such a season where they lost a lot of games and nothing really great happened like you are optimistic as a jets fan now like i am highly optimistic i think douglas is I really trust the guy. I'll be honest. I think the guy's going to hit it out of the park. Yeah, I do too. I mean, think about this situation here at the Jets. Because obviously they had the press conference today. Christopher Johnson said, you know what? Like, we want to hire the CEO coach. And we want to have a guy who's going to coach the whole team and coach his coaching staff, which you love to hear. Because the Jet pattern over the past two decades has been, we're going to hire the hotshot coordinator. Or we're going to hire, in this case, Adam Gates, who's basically a glorified offensive coordinator for the Dolphins. And say, okay, you run your half of the team. Here, we'll hire a defensive or offensive corner. They run their half of the team, and then we hope it works, and they work together well. And it worked with Rex. It worked with Herm a little bit. Like This did not work very well. You need a guy to run the whole team. I think if you're going that way, that's the way you got to go. Yeah, like Rex, and it's it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like it works better with defensive-minded guys because, like, I don't know, they just they have that discipline to them, it feels like. Like, you know, like with Rex, um, where – an offense, it's just tough. Like you look at Arizona, like Cliff Kingsbury kind of feel like he maybe isn't like a head coach. Like he's a good offensive coordinator. Is he the head coach? We'll see. Sean McVay, I think he's a good head coach, but still you can Is tell. he though? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I will say this. I'm <clears throat> I'm not a golf, big Jared Goff fan. Just like, I don't know. I, I, he's never really done it for me, but McVay, like what you saw him do with uh, the guy yesterday, Walford, Wolford. Yep. He, um, dude, like he dialed up a fantastic gameplay, but again, like your to your point, 
maybe that's just McVay being a brilliant offensive coordinator instead of a head coach, but still, I agree. Like, um, I like what the Giants did with Joe Judge. I, yes, I know six and 10. How excited can you really get with that? But I think that they're going in the right direction. And that's a guy who he doesn't really have a specific niche other than special teams. And he's a fantastic head coach. So get a head coach and then like get the coordinator. Like, dude, I could, I bet you if you asked like nine Jets or you went into, you went and asked 10 Jets fans who the team's offensive coordinator with Adam Gase was, maybe eight of them would know, uh, wouldn't know. So, you know what I mean? Like emphasized getting the head coach, like you said, get the coordinator under the head coach who can be like that guy who is the guru and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think the problem here is like, obviously like to answer that question, I feel like most of the people would have known about Dow Watkins this year because the whole thing about is Adam Gates actually calling the plays and is he, you know, the guy or is he the problem guy here? But with the off, with the situation the Jets have here is like you have to look at it and say, we have to trust Joe Douglas to make this hire. And so far, it sounds like Christopher is going to do that, which is the right thing to do. But right so, now, you just have to think that this is an organization that has used a corn ferry search firm that got them John Nidzik. They had Charlie Casserly give them Mike McCagden and Todd Bowles. That did not work out very well. They used, they let Peyton Manning talk them into Adam Gase. This is Christopher Johnson. The thing is, like the and Brian Costello, a friend of the podcast, made this point on Twitter today. I think it's a great point. The Johnsons, particularly Christopher, they're not as much meddlers as more they are too trusting of the people they hire, whereas they're or are in their ears. Like Corn Ferry said, John Idzik is great. And they're like, awesome, let's hire him. And they said, and Charlie Castley's like, Mike McCagney's going to be an amazing general manager. And he's like, boom, we're hired. I feel like at least now with Joe Douglas, they have the right guy there and he will give them good options. Yeah, I, you know, it's just too trustworthy, too trustworthy to um, a fault where, yeah, now you have a guy like Douglas where, um, and again, they're trusting him, but I think it's the right guy to trust. So, right, like he's very well known. A lot of people really like uh, respect Douglas. So um, all it takes is one hire, and I think Douglas is the one hire that can change everything. Yeah, he can. And we do, we've do. we gotten a bit of a list out there. It sounds like they're going to take their time, go through the very lengthy interview process. We've heard so far they've asked to interview Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs, Arthur Smith from the Titans, Brian Dayball, who used to be the Jet like quarterback coach under Mangini. Now now he turned Josh Allen to a star with the Bills. We've heard Wink Martindale's going to get an interview here. We talked Matt Eberflus, Patrick Graham from the Giants. There's more to come. There's a wide net here, and I love it. I love it, yeah. Um, this morning, I think I was, I came over a radio show. It might've been, uh, DPH or Canty and Rothenberg on ESPN, or maybe it was Barton Hahn, but they're basically saying like, this is what you do, right? Like you just said it cast that wide net. Cause you never know. Like, okay, let me, like, I, I think, uh, I know Atlanta really, I, or I, I don't know this. I heard that people are suggesting that Atlanta really wants to get a, the enemy in the room. And, you know, this is the week you'd probably interview him. Right. Because yeah. if not, not hearing from him until probably the Chiefs win their Super Bowl again. But um, I like uh, Dabble a lot, Brian Dabble. I just, like you just said, dude, he made a guy who is an absolute project, and that's not offending Josh Allen. I think he'd tell you that too. Really raw quarterback prospect, such a project pick. And, I mean, granted, it wasn't all just, you know, it was a whole coaching staff, but regardless – this dude, uh, I mean, you can't name all right, other than Rodgers and um, Mahomes. Like, I think it's fair to say Josh Allen's probably what the third or fourth best quarterback in the NFL right now. And 
you know, you're either keeping a guy in Sam Darnold who you need to fix, or you're drafting another guy and a young quarterback who's going to need to adjust coming in the NFL. So that's my opinion on it. And, but regardless, keep casting that net, get as many names as you can in the building. I mean, that's just really, it's a smart thing to do. It's just as simple as that. Yeah, I think for me, the guy I, I'm going to go on the record, I say, I think is going to end up getting this job. I think it's going to be Wink Martindale from the Ravens because obviously connections to, connections to Joe Douglas, defensive background, and the Johnsons love hiring defensive-minded coaches. I think going back to, I think, the Bill Belichick, Al Groh hire, I think like six of their last seven hires have been on defensive coaches, and that, one exception was Adam Gase. I think Wink Martindale has to come from the Ravens. He's drawing comparison defensively to Rex, which you know that Woody will love and Christopher Johnson will love love Rex still <laughs> yeah they, they do and like the relationship is there with Joe Douglas and you figure that's where we're going here we are going to something like that I think that's what I put my money on but I would love to see somebody you know come in win the room and, and you walk out and say wow that's our guy and it's not somebody we're expecting to get I, I do and and that's a guy who's he leads men you know I hate it's a cliche term but it's a good candidate to have definitely yep. good guy a good guy to get into that room and like you said, I do. I do think I do completely agree with you that I think that Ravens connection will ultimately come into play because it's. I mean, Douglas has done used that connection in that Philly connection quite a bit uh, so far in, in terms of player personnel uh, in his brief time here. But um, yeah, I, I, I hey, get him in the room. I'm down for it. <laughs> we also have not heard any stupid names coming in this pattern either, which I like. We have not heard like the Chargers are going to interview Jason Gary for their head coaching job, which makes no sense to me. I, yeah, I, I guess you got it. Maybe he knows someone there. Right. But, uh, yeah. I know I've been, I was, or I had heard, I guess they think Garrett's gone in, uh, in New York after a year, but, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I think after Matt rule and Mike McCarthy really wanted to express their interest in being mad coach and they went, then, uh, Christopher Johnson went another path. I think they're really going to focus on, um, uh, on those top candidates this time. And, uh, not a Peyton Manning phone call. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing that's important here is also another point that Christopher made that actually caught my eye was the fact he's open to changing the power structure that the organization had, which is, in my opinion, dumb, but we'll let let that be point because the Packers do it, the Packers successfully, but the Packers are a publicly owned team where, you know, it's a corporation. They don't have to have bosses, but here the Jets setup is the GM and the coach are equals and they both report to Christopher Johnson, which to me makes no sense because they have different priorities. It should be, the coach reports to the GM, the GM reports to the owner, and then so on and so forth. And I think here, you're doing this. You fix a lot of the problems that way. And you don't have a situation where you have Mike McCaggan trying to pick the coaching exam, scaring Matt Rule away. Yeah, the infrastructure is a big deal. But I will say this about Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers makes a lot of things that, you know, don't necessarily like go. I, I, I think they get away with it a little bit because of how damn good Aaron Rodgers is. But, yes, they do. Like, um. I really do respect the fact again, like that, that Christopher Johnson has really been like open to like, okay, enough is enough. Let's change as much as we can here. Cause I'm willing to change. I realize we have to change. Therefore let's talk about it. That's really big to me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be like that guy, but like that is very important. And um, the fact that he's even like just talking about it, like really like the fact that he's talking about it, really suggest that is what they are going to do, in my opinion. Yes, it's not a Jaguar situation where Shad Khan's coming out today saying, I control the roster, and I'm going to keep controlling the roster, even when I don't have a GM or a head coach yet. That's a great way to get candidates to come in the building. 
I mean, is he even like a football guy, that guy? Like he owns a soccer team? I, I have no idea. Listen, if he is, my fault, but I He's, he is not a football guy. I mean, this is not even like a Jerry Jones situation where Jerry Jones actually being the general manager of the Cowboys here. This is just Shaq on saying, I'm controlling who's on the team. I don't care who the football guys are. Yeah, until Urban Meyer shows up and that's all out of the window, right? Yeah. <laughs> Urban Meyer rolling to Jacksonville to be told who he's putting up, who, who's put, who's playing for his team. Yeah, and I think the big thing here is regardless of who the coach is and who and who, what Joe Douglas does here, they have to figure out the quarterback situation. I think you and I agree with this off the line. I'm going to put this out here. Sam Darnold is not going to work here anymore because, I mean, he's gone backwards. He has seen his stats got, take a dip. Last year, they said, oh, it's the mono. This year, he is healthy most of the time, but he has not performed well. And the thing that bothers me, and I think it's another point that friend of the podcast, Brian Costello, brought up. I talked to him back in April. It's like, at some point, your quarterback needs to be able to help your teammates get better. And there yeah, were yep. games this year where we saw Joe Flacco running with the same core of players, and they were a very productive offense. And Sam comes in next week, and they can't move the ball at all. Yep. Hold on. Before I get into this Darnold topic, I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna just gonna grab a bobblehead out of my thing real quick here, and I'm gonna tell you. Oh, a visual, what? a visual aid. Yes. Over here. <laughs> yeah. So well, Will's great is visual aid. Just a note here that the Jets contact situation here with Sam is basically. Year four, $7 million. Year five, the contract option year, it's for $25 million. So this, like my, like you, me, every Jets fan, draft, when this guy was drafted, how excited were we, right? Yeah. I don't want to, like, listen, I understand the business, and I know that this is the path they're likely going to go into, and I completely agree that Sam Darnold, and he says it, he has not elevated the player around him. He has not been able to do it. Um, I'm just like, I, 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 um, I just, it's so hard for me to move on from just like, ah, I know. And listen, I know the money. I know it hasn't been well, let's be real here. They're going to do it. It just comes down to what is the cost and, you know, who do they take instead? Um, I just, I just want to be, you know, Sam Darnold, go somewhere else and be great, man. I, I, I want you to do it. I, I, I still root for you. I wish it worked out here, but Hey, that's just part of the business. And um, I truthfully do think uh, Justin Fields is going to be the guy that they end up going with. Uh, I, I Not only because of that game. Here's my thing about that game against um, Clemson. Clemson, geez, sorry. He beat, he beat Trevor Lawrence. That's right. He beat Trevor Lawrence. I mean, beat, yes, dude, some of those throws, wow. But with, I with an one, injury. That's where I'm going. I think the one thing that uh, Douglas, because Joe Douglas loves – well, what does he say? Guys who love to play ball. And, dude, he – I mean, you texted me. He's got to have a broken rib. This kid's like – he's hobbling. He can't sit on a bike, and he's throwing five touchdowns. Like, that toughness and that, like, ability – because you saw how Ohio State played after he got hurt. Well, I mean, rallied around their quarterback. So, I just think, like, if there's one guy that Doug, like Douglas is going to fall in love with, it really could be that. Justin Fields just because that right there, that toughness and not, I'm not saying Darnold doesn't have that. Darnold came out of the, came back onto the field after his shoulder was damn near ripped out of his body. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing you have to remember also is like, number one, I watched that game. I was so impressed. Like some of those throws he was making, especially like the throw in the, at, like the first touchdown after the, after he had the injury where he basically throws us like basically on a line over two defenders to a tight end in the back of the end zone. That was impressive. But the thing with, yeah, frozen rope. And 
Joe Douglas loves these guys who have the elite physical traits that you can't teach. Look at the guys he picked last year. Mekhi Becton, massive offensive lineman. Denzel Mims, tall, productive receiver. James Morgan, developmental quarterback, 6'6". He loves it. Justin Fields is 6'4", has all the physical tools you want to play quarterback. He's going to go for that regard, Zach Wilson. Yeah, I just, I, I like, I get, like, uh, Connor Hughes, he, uh, he was saying how, like, he, Wilson might be more attractive because he does more with less, where Fields, you know, I guess does less with more, if that's fair to say, which I, I don't really think he's doing less with more to a degree. He has had clunkers, but um, yeah, it's just, it really comes down to like, like other than Carson Wentz and like, I don't know if there's more or like Lamar Jackson, but Lamar was like the 30th pick or whatever. Like, are there that many like top, quarterbacks picked from these not these these you know schools like ohio state stuff like that like i guess uh jordan love but jordan love was later in the draft too last year so i just feel like it's really tough to be like whatever you saw from zach wilson and by or yeah byu was like good enough to say okay this big physical kid from ohio state who went to georgia before i'm pretty sure like i don't know to me I know Dwayne Haskins didn't work out. Sometimes these big power five quarterbacks actually don't work out, but I don't know. I, I really like what I see from fields. And I think it's really tough to say, okay, Wilson over fields. That's my opinion. Yeah. I think, I think they're going to go with fields. I think that's the way I would go. I think that's the way Douglas wants to go again, based on the physical traits and the physical things you cannot teach. Dude, Ricky said, yeah, really solid dude. He looks like Cam Newton. Like yeah. the way his things are like, he's like a big guy. Yeah. Yeah, plus at the way the NFL is right now, you reset the cap clock and you get him on the rookie contract and then you can use all that cap space you have to build the offensive line, go sign an edge rusher, go sign a top flight receiver and give him the help that Sandal never got because they yeah. need offensive linemen. I would think that they're going to be in on Joe Tooney if he hits free agency this year, go sign away from the Patriots. A lock if he yeah. gets free agency. Douglas apparently loved him yeah. last year. I can't imagine he lets him slip this year if he hits the market. Yeah, the Ravens are going to lose one of either Matt Judon or Yannick and Gawain Freeze. Yeah, I think both one of those guys is a lot to be on the Jets, especially Judon if he's the one the Ravens choose to let go. They need an yep. edge rusher badly. They need a corner that could use a, a top receiver. I think the Jet fan, like, if the Bears somehow let Allen Robinson go, you got to be all over that. Yeah, because he, I, and some, he's not of like people. Uh, some of the friends that I text with are like Alan Robinson, like you're not paying him that. I'm like, dude, he's not Julio Jones. I get it. Like he's not that name. Alan Robinson is a damn good wide receiver, a yeah. beast. And yeah. he was catching like what 90 balls a year playing with Mitch Trubisky. Like, come on. Yeah. That's a dude who you get in on this team, a really, really good receiver. Yeah, indeed. I think there's a lot going on here. We're going to talk more about the Jets next week. I'm going to dive deeper into what's going on with them. But, Will, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow on social media and keep up some of the stuff you're up to? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Will uh, Schneider H1. And um, I do the podcast Green Skies where, again, it's been like a little on and off. Uh, but I am going to get back and do like a kind of a final recap podcast that is on Anchor FM. And, I, you know, they put that onto Spotify and so on through that platform. So you can just type Green Skies. And um, I obviously put that on my Twitter and socials and then kind uh, of get into some NFL uh, articles here as, you know, the Super Bowl playoffs creep in. Uh, so I'll hit you with some uh, fan side of stuff. Just finished a full year of fantasy football sleepers, which, hey, 
flip the coin every every week to see what I put on there. But yeah, on Twitter, you can catch all that good stuff. And uh, thanks for having me on, Mike. I enjoyed it. And like I said, uh, everybody gets to see my face now and my bedroom and my bobbleheads. Like, hey, it's a great, it's a great time. <laughs> hey, next time we're doing this, maybe we'll see Anthony Sorbellini's face. We talk about baseball. Yeah, yeah. Hey, get Sorbs in. Yeah, you can see everybody. <laughs> Yeah, we will up up next. We'll talk some more NFL. Get ready for the wild card round with Daryl Slater right after this. And Derrick Henry rushed for over 200 yards. Tannehill has run for two touchdowns, thrown for one to me. Gonna go deep. Down the middle of the field it is. What a great throw by Ryan Tannehill. A terrific route. That is an amazing route by A.J. Brown. And I can't understand for the life of me how Houston opened up the middle of the field. Guys, the one thing you cannot do. And the safety, the near safety, jumps the crossing route and turns loose A.J. Brown. A busted assignment on the back end. What a great throw by Ryan Tannehill. 54 yards. All right, we are back here getting ready to talk a little New York football and get ready for Wild Card Weekend. Joining me today on the line, somebody I talked to last year before the Super Bowl. Happy welcome back to the podcast, Daryl Slater of the Star Record. Daryl, welcome back. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. And I have to say, I think the storyline of Week 17, I think everybody was talking about this, is what happened on Sunday Night Football with the Eagles and their decision to pull Jalen Hurts in the fourth quarter, Nate Sudfeld possibly actively tanking this game. The Doug Peterson said no. What was your reaction when you saw that happening live? Look, I, I really didn't think it was that big of a deal because they, you know they had basically said through NFL Network reporters before the game that they were going to play um, Nate Sudfeld. I mean, it's not like something they decided to do at the last minute. Doug Peterson put it out there before the game that that's what they were going to do. They played a lot of backups in that game anyway. Um, so, so if they had played, kept Jalen Hurts in the game with all the other backups, which is a risky thing to do when you have a quarterback who's probably going to be your starter next year, if they had kept him in the game, uh, and they had still lost and, and they fielded a team of largely backups from the get go in that game, uh, would people still be up in arms about that? I, so I think that that's an, and there's, there's this selective, um, you know, angst about this thing. I, I don't necessarily know if it was tanking per se to get a better draft pick i mean he wanted to keep his potential future franchise quarterback healthy while also getting a look at him in the game there was a meaningless game this is what coaches do all the time in the preseason it's a calculated risk uh if this is the rationale then then why ever play a you know a quarterback who's going to be your starter in say the preseason they you know they wanted to get a look at jalen hurts against the defense that was a really good defense and trying but they all they didn't want to be overly risky so that's that's my thing about it in terms of the selective thing I mentioned, you know, obviously the, the, the Steelers didn't play Ben Roethlisberger in Week 17 to rest him for the playoffs. So where do we fall on that? Because the Browns won that game. Would they have won that game if, if Big Ben played? Would they be in the playoffs right now if Big Ben played? So I think that's, that's where it all falls. Of course, the Dolphins did lose too. So um, that that's where I fall on that um, because I think people are very selective about this. And look, the Giants were 6-10. and 10. They, did, they would have been the only 6-10 and 10 team to ever make the playoffs. They did not deserve to make the playoffs. If you want to make the playoffs, don't collapse against the Eagles in the regular season, which they did. <laughs> so I, I don't think I don't think the Giants have. I, I understand Joe Judge being angry um, about how that unfolded. There's no guarantees they would have beaten Washington anyway with Jalen Hurts. So um, 
ultimately, this is probably better for the Giants in the long run. They would never say this, but they're getting a better draft pick than they would have if they made the playoffs and then went and got pounded by the Buccaneers on Saturday. Yeah, I think in terms of all of that, in terms of the Giants situation, look, I agree with you. It's like you're 6-10. and 10, You can't really complain about needing help from another team. There's one that has nothing on the line themselves. But to, to quote Sandy Alderson, and, and this is sort of just, to me, it looks like bad optics where it's game 256. It's the only game on, and it's a close game when he pulls him out. It's not like they were down like 25 points in the fourth quarter and he pulled out Jalen Hurts. It's sort of like that's the optics right. of the problem. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think that, the, look, the NFL incentivizes tanking. They do. They don't have a lottery. Uh, and so the, the more, you know, Roger Goodell says teams, he doesn't think teams tank. And But you're going to give the best draft pick to the team with the worst record. And the Eagles gained a lot by, you know, three spots but by losing that game. And the bottom line is you're more likely to get a better player um, with a higher draft pick in, in terms of those spots in the first round. So is it going to change your franchise? No. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree that the optics aren't great, but the NFL went ahead and put this game on Sunday night because really they had to because of uh, obviously other playoff games. Other games would have had implications on the playoffs. They wanted a Sunday night game to mean something. Uh, and it's just kind of funny that that's how it worked out. You, you put a team in that spot and everyone got to see what basically the NFL system for how they determine the draft order incentivizes and, and to a large degree it incentivizes it incentivizes tanking. And I think if look, if the Jets, for instance, in 2014 won a game in Tennessee at the end of the year and Rex Ryan was all excited about it, they won, that cost him a chance to draft Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston. Now neither of those guys turned out to be good players, but the same thing happened again this year. What if Trevor Lawrence turns out to be a Hall of Famer? Jets fans are going to look at that and say, well we, we should have lost those games. So um yeah, I think Giants will probably be better off in the long run uh, for this because they would have drafted 19th at the highest if they won the division, and now they're 11th. So that's a big difference, and this team needs needs to get better. And playing one playoff game um, and losing, presumably they would have lost, it doesn't make much of a difference, I don't think. Yeah, the Giants had an interesting year where they really were kept alive by this bad division because in any other division, yeah. they would have been long, dead, and buried. But you saw some positive things. The defense played well. Joe Judd seems like the real deal at coach. Like, what do you think the big takeaway is for the Giant fan watching this team this season? Yeah, I think I think the takeaway is that this team is willing to play hard for Joe Judd, and that's what you want. You know, rookie head coach, uncertainty about um, you know how he would do in year one. Can he get the team to play hard for him? When, when you're a special teams coordinator coming in, you're not going to call the offense or defense. You're going to be a CEO coach. Your role is to keep the team on track, to keep everybody in line, and get guys to play hard for you and have a big picture overarching vision for how you want to run a team. And I think Joe Judge did that. Now, they didn't have any like legitimate wins except for the Seahawks game. They didn't really beat anybody good. That's the next step. And they have to get better players to do that. But I think you leave you leave the season encouraged by what Joe Judge did. Now, I mean, he's not on his way to Canton just yet. He's got a lot more work to do. But for what type of roster he had, he did a pretty solid job, and he got guys to play hard for him. And uh, that's the start of it. On defense, of course, they overachieved, no doubt about it. That's why Patrick Graham uh, is getting head coaching interest, at least from the Jets right now, in terms of they want to interview him. So he did a great job. There was a lot of uncertainty about him because Miami let him basically let him walk. From, to a lateral job with the Giants, and um, he did a good job, really nice job with his defense, considering <laughs> considering what they had. No edge rusher, no number two cornerback. Um, they need to address those things if they want to take the next step as a defense. Offensively, Daniel Jones, the jury is still way out. Uh, I think Jason Garrett did a pretty poor job 
um, given the circumstances and given his limitations. Remember, their offensive line is dreadful. They have no number one receiver. They couldn't really push the ball down and steal. They didn't really try to do that. Um, and the jury's still out on Daniel Jones. Um, he did a little bit better job with turnovers, but I think that, you know, there's still a possibility this guy is not a legit franchise quarterback. Next year is going to be big for that. And they need to go get him some help and some weapons. Uh, they don't have a ton of cap space. So that's where it all turns out. And they're going to keep Dave Gettleman. So do you trust him to to get this right entering year four, which is a critical year for, for his quarterback to be able to prove himself? Yeah, you brought up Dave Gettleman. Obviously, the big news of the Giants yesterday is that he's going to be back for another year. I know a lot of fans are not thrilled with that decision. This year certainly worked better for him where the Leonard Williams trade was sort of justified by his performance and he had some good draft picks. How do you feel about the Gettleman choice to bring him back for one more year? He should have been fired. I think if you look at if you look at the totality of his decisions, yeah, I mean, the Blake Martinez signing was good this past offseason. James Bradbury was good, and, and Leonard Williams took the next step finally in a contract year and was able to get to the quarterback a lot more. And so if you look at it like that, you could really say Patrick Graham saved Dave Gettleman because he he made the most out of Bradbury and and Martinez. I mean, those guys were solid players when the Giants signed it. They were probably not, you know, top five, top ten at their position players. Um, they played like that at times this year. Leonard Williams, he really took the next step with, with, with Patrick Graham. And I think that, you know, yeah, I mean Leonard Williams played better, but it's largely because he, these coaches finally made it made it work for him. So, how much credit does Dave Gettleman get for that? You know, probably some. But then there's so many other mistakes. I mean, there the, obviously the jury's still out on Jones. Uh, the DeAndre Baker thing was awful. You know, they were never they were not able to make the most of the picks they got back in the Odell Beckham trade because they made the horrible decision to draft DeAndre Baker, the signing of Golden Tate, the signing of Nate Solder. I mean, you can go on and on with with the mistakes that Dave Gettleman has made that have set the Giants back. Um, they have not beaten really anybody good. I think I looked this up. They, they have three total wins in three years under him against teams that finished with winning records, including Seattle this year. They had none of those wins last year. I think they had two in 2018. So they haven't beaten anybody good. They, they, so where's the progress in that regard? It's going to come down to Jones. Uh, if he has a good year next year, then Dave Gettleman's probably around again, and the Giants are going to win more games. If he doesn't, then Dave Gettleman probably will be fired and should be fired. So, yeah, he had a good offseason last year to some degree, but Andrew Thomas, I mean, it's not like he was a great player in his rookie year. So there's so many negatives. I, I really think that he, he should have been fired along with um, Pat Shermer. But, um, you know, ownership wanted to give him another chance, and, and, and fairly enough, because he did have cancer his first year and was able to recover from that. But in 2018, you know, that, that really sapped a lot of Dave Gettleman's strength, as, as you can imagine. So they gave him another shot for a third year in 2020. He showed some progress. I don't think enough, but they, they do think enough, and they're going to proceed with him. Yeah, and we'll shift across town and maybe with the Jets. And obviously, they they – pull off the world's worst-kept secret. They fire Adam Gates after the season. So far, it sounds like they're casting a very wide net. Christopher John said, looking for the CEO coach and not just an offensive guy or a defensive guy. Like, based on some of the things we've heard so far, what do you think the Jets should be looking for in their next coach? Yeah, I think that that is a big thing. They need to find somebody who, of course, you know, the person needs to have a, a high level of competence in terms of running an offense or defense, but they need to find somebody that can unify a locker room, unify a building. They've had too little of that recently. I mean, they had a one-dimensional head coach in Rex Ryan who could never develop an offense and was able to obviously have some success, but you know, petered out 
in his later years. Todd Bowles, same thing. One-dimensional defensive coach, could never develop an offense. Adam Gase had no interest in defense. He was brought in to fix Sam Darnold. He didn't do it. He hired an insane defensive coordinator in Greg Williams. Everyone knew that wasn't going to work. Sure enough, it didn't work. So they need someone. And yeah, Gase is not a leader. I mean, he might be a good offensive coach, but he's not a head coaching type leader. They need someone who, with a clear vision, who can articulate that vision and who can um, execute it. And now they obviously need better players. Their roster is terrible because, largely because of Mike McCagnan, partly because of Joe Douglas's free agency mistakes this past offseason. But, you know, McCagnan left the covered bear. And so it's not going to be an overnight transition, but they do need a coach who can come in and, and get some respect from this locker room and um, be able to unify the the offense and defense and run the whole team, run the whole team. So right now they've, they've kind of cat, they have cast a wide net. Matt Eberflus, the defense coordinator with the Colts, Arthur Smith, Titans OC, Derek Bieniemy, I think who would be the best choice, the chiefs OC. So he has a ton of interest. And so does Smith, Brian Dable, the bills offensive coordinator who has done a great job with Josh Allen, who the Jets should have picked instead of Sam Darnold. Uh, Brandon Staley, the Rams defensive coordinator, and Patrick Graham, the Giants defensive coordinator. So I think some of those options would be better than others, but you can see they're casting a wide net, and they're going to interview more guys because right now it's super easy to interview these guys. You just put them on a Zoom call, and you can knock out a bunch of interviews. So it's not like in years past where you have to range flights. Um, Why not go ahead and interview 15 guys? Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of like the attractiveness of this job, I know that you mentioned a lot of good other jobs out there. I mean, the Chargers probably the best on the board. They have Justin Herbert and a decent core behind him. But like the Jets, I know the roster is not great. There are some signs that Joe Douglas knows how to pick players. You do have the ability to basically dictate who you want at quarterback. It's not Trevor Lawrence number two, and you have a lot of cap room and extra picks. So, do you think this job is attractive enough to get some of these like top candidates to, to pick the Jets? Yeah, I went ahead and actually uh, ranked those the jobs. Uh, today for the most appealing. I think Chargers and Jaguars are probably right up there. I mean, the Chargers, you have the young quarterback already. Uh, maybe, I, I think you can make an argument for the Jaguars that won over the Chargers uh, because they do have so much cap space and so much draft capital. Um, I could hear the argument, of course, for the Chargers being won because of Herbert and because of what they already have on their, on their roster, too. Um, you know, the issue there with the, the, the Chargers, not as much draft capital as some of the other teams that have head coaching openings, but those are the two, I think, clear number one jobs. The Texans are an interesting one because they do have Deshaun Watson, which a coach would love to come in. And, uh, you know, Watson's the most proven quarterback by far in terms of the young quarterbacks of, of this group. You have Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford, but they're at the end of their career uh, careers. And so the problem with Houston is there's, there's no draft capital, no cap space. Who knows about the GM situation there with, with what the role Jack Easterby is going to have. And the ownership situation is a disaster. Cal McNair has been in conference. So um, there, I think the Texans, I put them ahead of the, of the Jets because, you know, a head coach cares a lot about the quarterback and maybe not so much about the fact that Cal McNair bungled the Bill O'Brien situation. So I would probably put the Jets four. You know, you go Jaguars, Chargers, Texans, or Chargers, Jaguars, Texans, that I put the Jets four. Um I think the Lions and the Falcons, the situations there are, you know, they, you can't move on from your quarterback this offseason. The Falcons are stuck with Matt Ryan for two more years. Matthew Stafford's going to be in Detroit for at least one more year. And, and so um, the, the draft capital isn't super appealing right now for the Falcons and Lions. The Jets have a ton of draft capital and a ton of cap space. They're right up there with the Jaguars in both those categories. So while the rosters are lacking in those areas, there's, there's room for improvement. So 
And there's also not going to be a lot of pressure for the Jeff Coach to win immediately this year. And uh, just like with Joe Douglas, he, he doesn't have to win this year to keep his job. He's going to have this job, Joe Douglas, is through at least 2022. So it's not like the Jeff Coach is going to walk in and have a new GM and by year two. That's not happening. So I'd put the Jets right in the middle. I'd put them at four behind the Jags, Chargers, Texans, or four Chargers, Jags, uh, Texans. Yeah, it makes some sense. I think obviously the big question for the Jets is the quarterback situation because you're sitting at two. You can't get Trevor yeah. Lawrence barring something extremely unprecedented. You have a choice between Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, or Sam, basically keeping Sam Darrell. Like, if you were talking to Joe Douglas, what would you tell him to do? I mean, I would tell him that I haven't watched nearly enough for Justin Fields to know if he's the yeah. guy there. Um, but, look, I, I think – yeah, you're right. That That's one option. Stay at two and take Fields or, or, or Wilson. Maybe you can trade back a little bit and, and still potentially get Wilson or Trey Lance. Uh, I, I, I'm sure Fields will go at number two to somebody. Um, it, trading back wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I, I, am, I think they need to move on from Sam Donald. Get what you can for him uh, right now. Trade him right now because his, his value is not going to be – his value is not going to be higher, say, at the trade deadline next year when he's – behind some of a rookie on the depth chart. Of course, everyone's going to know that Jets are going to want to get rid of him at that point. Of course, they will know it at this point, too. But, you know, I think that right now you go ahead and get what you can for Sam Darnold, add a draft pick or two, and uh, and move on, maybe. Uh, the other option, I think, is keeping Darnold and signing, uh, you know, a bridge-type quarterback, a veteran, um, maybe Jameis Winston, something like that. I, I just don't see how that works. I think it's a Band-Aid situation. You have the number two pick right now. Do something with it in order to land the quarterback would be my would be my advice to Joe Douglas, whether that's Justin Fields, whether that's Zach Wilson, whether that's using that pick to get more draft capital and maybe picking a quarterback if you really like somebody around two. That's riskier, of course. Um, but uh, I, would, I would move on from Sam Darnold. We've seen enough from him. Um, I know Adam Gase is not a great coach, but look, if this guy – Darnold was any good, you know, he'd at least have mediocre numbers. I mean, his numbers are terrible. Uh, good kid, tries hard, not a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Let's quickly talk a little about Wild Card Weekend because obviously you got six games coming up. Like, which of these matchups intrigues you the most? Yeah, no, I think it was one of the most fascinating ones from a storyline perspective is is the uh, Colts of the Bills. Of course, Frank Wright going back and. You know, I, I mean, you're pretty young, so I don't. You probably weren't even alive in '93, and some other people don't remember that game. I remember watching that game. Uh, Frank Reich leading the Bills to that insane comeback over the Oilers, uh, the Houston Oilers, folks. Yeah, so uh, so that one to me, I love. I, I love that matchup. The Colts to the Bills. Frank Reich going back there. You got Philip Rivers, the old quarterback, trying to to to. to finally make a run in the playoffs after all those years of being saddled with a bad team in San Diego and uh, LA. And um, I, Josh Allen and the bills are playing better than I think any team in the league right now. To me, that's the AFC game to watch. Uh, in the NFC, the Rams game does nothing for me. I think the Seahawks will kill them. I think Washington will get whacked. Um, uh, the Ravens Titans are a cool matchup from last year. Of course, Lamar Jackson trying to take the next step. I still like the, the that Colts Bills game better in the AFC, even though probably that Ravens Titans game might be a little closer. Um, not the, the NFC games don't do much for me. Uh, I think if I if I had to rank it, I would take all three of those AFC games: Colts Bills, uh, Titans, 
uh, uh, Ravens and Brown Steelers. Like, imagine imagine what Cleveland's going to be like if they beat the Steelers <laughs> and get their first playoff win since '94. Those other those NFC games, I think Saints roll. I think Bucks roll. I think Seahawks roll. I don't think those will be competitive. Yeah, you brought that Browns game. Actually, while we're on the phone right now, the Browns actually put a release out that they've had issues with COVID again. Head coach Kevin Stefanski, oh, two boy. coaches, and two players tested positive for COVID, and the facility's been shut down. So that just oh, they've a had a mess that. of it. Yeah, they have. I remember against the Jets, they had the whole wideout room was out because they, they, one guy tested positive, and the other was in the hot tub with him. But now this just has cast a fall of that whole game. Yikes! I look. I think. I think will the Browns win? I don't. I don't think they'll win. Uh, I actually did. I've been looking at our picks that I submitted. I picked Browns twenty-seven, Steelers twenty-four in the picks I sent to my editor last night. So, oh, whatever. I'll stick with it. But, but <laughs> I think that uh, look. I, you know, this is just so typical of their luck that they get to this point in this type of year, um, and this happens. So um, we'll see what type of impact it has. So, so Kevin Stefanski tested positive. Yeah, they released a statement that said Stefanski, two coaches, and two players tested positive. So he's out. So he's, Stefanski can't coach the game. Yeah, assuming it's confirmed positive, we haven't gotten that word yet from the Browns, but. Wow! Wow! I mean, that is a, a huge blow because he has been such a huge difference maker as a play caller for Baker Mayfield compared to what Freddie Kitchens did or really didn't do last season with Baker Mayfield. So, man, that's that's a killer. Uh, it would be really cool to see the Browns win. At this point, I don't know if I see it um, happening. It's just their luck, right? So it would be an even cooler story if they were able to overcome it. But you know, this is a situation where some teams, you know, did a better job of containing COVID than others. Now, a lot of it's bad luck, but it's very clear that um, you know, there were some teams like the Raiders that obviously didn't take this thing seriously uh, at all, and they had a lot of issues with COVID. Other teams, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, the Jets were obviously terrible this year, but they they did a great job with COVID. They were like they had a great record against COVID. They were bad against other football teams, but <laughs> so uh, you know, I think this this just goes to show that um, you know this is one of the, this is just a crazy year. I mean, we all we all know it, so. Um, I'd love to see the Browns win. Maybe, maybe not happening. No. Yeah, according to the Browns, special teams coach Mike Prefer will be the head coach if Stefanski is not cleared for this game. And the last thing I want to ask you is obviously, like these six teams are playing, these twelve teams are playing this weekend. Only the Chiefs and the Packers had buys. Like, who do you think is the biggest threat to each team? The biggest threat to the Chiefs and the Packers? Yes. Yeah, I think if you look, if you look at the, if you look at the AFC. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the matchups now. I mean, I think the Bills are maybe the hottest team in the NFL right now. I, I don't, I, I don't see any way the Chiefs don't come out of the AFC. But if there were a team to, 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 to nick them, it would maybe be the Bills right now because the Steelers have stumbled a little bit down the stretch. Um, you know, wh- how much juice does Ben Roethlisberger have left at this point physically? Um, so I think, well, you look at the Steelers and say, you know, on paper they'd probably be the team. I, I like the Bills as as a hot team to maybe challenge the Chiefs in the AFC. In terms of the NFC, you know, I mentioned that the, the, how those I think those first three games are going to be uh, are going to be blowouts. The team, of course, I I would guess would be the Saints, right? I mean, you look at that and say uh, Drew Brees um, and his experience and when and Sean Payton, and then not only that, but the job that Dennis Allen has done with the Saints defense is perhaps um, you know the the biggest obstacle in the way of the Packers. Yeah, the Seattle, Seattle fine. I just don't think they have the defense um, to be able to contain Aaron Rodgers. Um, so the Saints have that. They have that, uh, you know, that cat, that defensive cachet to be able to to do a better job against Rodgers. I think than maybe um, 
you know, they have the, they got the fourth ranked PFF defense. I'm actually just, just called that up right now. So, um, it, I don't, I don't see Seattle's 11 in that, but, um, the Seattle's defense didn't really impress me a lot this year. I think the saints would be, the saints would be the obvious pick and I'll go with the obvious pick there. The bills, maybe not the obvious pick in the AFC to challenge the chiefs, but I'll, I'll pick them just because of how hot they've been. And, um, you know, and, and Josh Allen has got to be super fresh right now as, as a young quarterback. And I don't know if that's the case with Ben Roethlisberger at his age, even though he did get the rest in uh, week 17. Yeah, I would agree with those picks as well. Daryl, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I hope you follow me on social media and keep up with your coverage at the Star Ledger. Yeah, just um, at Daryl Slater, D-A-R-R-Y-L-S-L-A-T-E-R. That's my Twitter account. And uh, we have a good amount of Jets and Giants coverage on there. And uh, yeah, it's nj.com slash Jets, nj.com slash Giants. We, we do a pretty thorough job covering both those teams. And uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks again, Daryl. No problem. All right, and there you have it. That was Darryl Slater talking NFL football, talking Jets, talking Giants. And as I mentioned here, we did have the major breaking news on the podcast here. It literally broke while I was on the line with Darryl. The Browns this week, probably no Kevin Stefanski, down two assistant coaches, down two more players due to COVID, this could definitely have an effect on this situation with this game against the Steelers on Sunday night. We'll talk about that. We'll do some NFL picks with Charlie Borges right after this. Show me the money. All right, show me the money time. NFL picks wild card weekend. Joining me today on the line, somebody we talked to you back in week two, a big Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Charlie Boris is back. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Doing pretty good. Did you like my sign there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you always come up with the uh, got the props. The good things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a while, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, you know, the Bucs, they're in the playoffs for the first time since my freshman year of high school and then currently 27. So it's good to it's good to be back in the postseason again. Yeah, the, I mean, I mean, considering my team now is at the longest playoff drought in the NFL, I don't envy you. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a Mets fan as well. So it's been a while since we, I've seen any success. I'm a Devils fan. It's been since 2003, since they last won a cup. I was a New Jersey Nets fan and they left the state. So I deserve something positive in the sports world. That's all I'm going to say. You got Tom Brady. That's a good start. Uh, uh, yeah. And it, he panned out pretty well. He did. So, I mean, we got to see year one of Tom Brady through 40 touchdown passes the first time forever. So as somebody who's watched this team game in game out, what'd you think about year one of Tom Brady? Um, it was a lot of positives, but when there were negatives, they were, very glaring. Um, you said he had 40 touchdowns on the year. It was his second highest of his entire career. His size was 50. And the year they went, what, 19 and one when they yeah. lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. So it was a good year from Brady, um, statistically one of his best in his career at 43 in an entirely new offense in an entirely new town. So I give him credit, but 
hopefully none of those negatives that were apparent against New Orleans, um, against a few other of those teams, they don't show up in the postseason. Yeah, they don't. And the one thing I think to about week 17, obviously you win, that's great, but Mike Evans hurts his knee, and we don't know if he's going to have an impact availability for Saturday night against Washington. Like, how concerned are you about that? I'm not really concerned. Um, I know he, he's, like, day-to-day. Yeah. I know he didn't participate in today, which is Tuesday. Yeah. Um, he didn't participate in practice today, but he's been known to play through injury. Um, he did it earlier in the year. Um, he's had a foot issue. I think it was his ankle, and it was very noticeable in a few games in earlier in the year when he was jumping for passes. He land on or would try to land on one ankle and not the other, uh, but he still played. I believe he played. He played every game this year, so I'm not really worried about it. If he doesn't play, it, it wouldn't surprise me. But if he does, it also wouldn't surprise me. But if he doesn't play, that just gives Antonio Brown more touches. And we saw it in week 17 against the Falcons when Evans went down. Brown had over 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns. When you can replace Mike Evans with Antonio Brown, I really don't think you have that much of a problem. Yeah, that's true. And this way they get the matchup on the road against the Washington football team. And I think this could be a closer matchup than people think just because they have that pass rush and Tom Brady is not a big fan of having deal teams that can rush with just four. Is this that concern you at all in this game? I agree with you. Um, my dad's a, a Washington football team fan. And he texted me this morning. He said, well, at least your team will make it to the second round. And I said, Dad, you have no idea what you're talking about. The Buccaneers' uh, record against playoff teams this year is 1-5. They lost twice against the Saints. They lost to the Chiefs. They lost to the uh, Bears. And they lost to the Rams. The only playoff team that they won, coincidentally, was the Green Bay Packers, who have the first-round bye. So, so the best team in their conference, they slaughtered. But the other teams that they've played in the postseason, they looked terrible. And that, that was the, uh, the inconsistency that I was talking about with Tom Brady earlier. In those five games, he looked incredibly inconsistent, and he looked like he was 43. And all the other games, he looked like he was 30 again, trying to go for a perfect season. And when you have somebody like um, Chase, uh, what's his name? Chase Young. Chase Young, yeah. When you have somebody like that on the defensive line and he's come out and said, I want Tom Brady. And I obviously Bruce Arian said, Dude, be careful what you wish for. But if you have Chase Young up against Donovan Smith, the left tackle, I'm going with Chase Young every day of the week. So if – the Buccaneers' primetime struggles and struggles against playoff teams continue, and Donovan Smith plays like he's Donovan Smith and Chase Young plays like he's Chase Young, it's going to be a long game and yeah. a lot closer than people would think. Yeah, indeed. And before we get to this week's picks, we had some news to break earlier today that the Cleveland Browns, who are playing this weekend in Pittsburgh, are going to their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, because he's tested positive for COVID. They're down two coaches, two position players. You actually got to see this happen to another team because the Bucks played the Lions in Week 16. Daryl Bevel was out for COVID protocol. All the defensive play callers out there, defensive play because of COVID protocols. And considering your experience watching what happened to Detroit there, I would think this is not good for Cleveland. It's not at all, um, especially on this short notice. the The Lions looked absolutely lost. Um, they really had no game plan, and it showed. Um, 
people tried, but it just didn't work out. And especially in a high stakes game, the first week of the, the playoffs, the Browns haven't been in the playoffs since I was what three. <laughs> I mean, to not have your head coach, the Cleveland, the Browns, they deserve something good, but it's it's just not happening, and I don't know why. Yeah, you got to feel bad for them. Yeah, your heart goes out to the Browns fans because it's probably be one and done for them. But we are going to get ready for the picks. Uh, your good buddy Alan also was actually here last week doing the picks for Team Challengers. He went one and two on the week. I expect better out of him. Yeah. He's, he's he's a lot wiser. Yeah. He did have the Packers laying the six against the Bears. They won that one running away. He took the Titans laying the seven and a half in Houston. I warned him against that pick, and it still it did not work out for him because Deshaun Watson kept that close. And he took the Panthers getting six and a half against the Saints at home. That one did not work out in his favor. Come on, Alan. You know better than that. Yeah, I went 2-1 and one last week. I went head-to-head with Alan on that Saints-Panthers pick. I took the Saints laying the points. I got that one right. I had the Ravens laying 11.5 points against the against the Bengals. That game was over in the second quarter. And I had I did lose. The Jets let me down one more time. I took them getting the 3.5 points in Foxborough, <laughs> and they completely did not show up. I'm sorry about everything that you're going through as a Jets fan. But, I mean, one Adam Gase is gone, which is a great thing. And from what I'm hearing, Joe Douglas is actually going to be able to make the decision of who the next coach should be. That is correct. Who do you want as their next coach? I, For me, I'm open to anybody. I look at it as, hey, get me the guy who's going to coach the whole team. I don't want the offensive coordinator who's going to ignore the defense or the defensive coach who's ignore the offense. I want the CEO who's going to run the whole team. It sounds like that's what they're looking for. So not an Eric Bieniemy type guy. You want like a Urban Meyer? Like I want a whole. I want the whole package. Like I, I'm open to whoever it is. Like if 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 Eric Bieniemy demonstrates to me, hey, I can run the team. I can have input on the defense and be aware of what's going on. As opposed to I'm going to go hide in the corner and just run the offense like Adam Gase did. That's that's what I'm looking to see. I don't even think Adam Gase ran the offense. Well, he did. He just ran like he still had Peyton Manning, Demarius Thomas, and all those guys. When I mean, he only did not. Yeah. I, mm. It wasn't pretty. No, it was not. And on the on the year with the picks, Team Challengers had a respectable year. They went 26-24-1. I went 30-21, and 21, so it was a pretty tight year. What is it normally like? I've, used, like the, I've won all three years I've done this, but the spread has gotten much closer because the, the Challengers stepped up their games. Well, hopefully I can uh, bridge the gap just a little bit more. Yeah, we are going into the playoffs here. We're going to pick all six games of the week here. So, Charlie, I'm doing some heavy lifting on the podcast here. We're going to go. We're going to go one at a time here. We're going to get our pick music going here. We're going to start with the schedule as it is. We're going to start on Saturday afternoon. We're going to start with the Colts Bills game Saturday, 105 on CBS. The Bills are laying six and a half points. Charlie, where are you going? I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. Um, we talked about Cleveland deserving something good. Buffalo deserves that tenfold. Um, last week, they had a great week against the Dolphins. I think Josh, uh, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are motivated, and they come in next week, and they pretty much clean house. They advance the next round. I'm right there with you. I'm taking the Bills, too, laying the six and a half points. This is one where I feel like the Bills look like the best team in football right now. I mean, you take away the Hail Mary... Hell, Murray lost to the Cardinals. They could have won 10 mm. straight games to end the season. They're peaking. 
And I don't like the way the Colts have played down the stretch. I mean, they could have lost twice to the Texans. They struggled to beat Jacksonville. They collapsed in Pittsburgh. I think this would be a game where the Bills end up winning this one running away. Next up, we are going to Saturday, 440 on Fox. Rams at the Seahawks. Seahawks are laying four at home. Charlie, where are you going? I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Russell Wilson has been the model of consistency in the NFL the last couple of years at the quarterback position. And his experience with, with the postseason will outshine um, Jared Goff. Is, is he still hurt? We, we don't know if he's at play yet. Well, there's another question mark right there. So the easy bet right now would be the Seattle Seahawks. I'm actually going to go head-to-head -head with you on that. I'm going to take the Rams getting the points here just because I'm not confident in what Russell Wilson has shown me down the stretch. I like the Ram defense. They're going to keep this close. I feel like Sean McVay will find enough if you have to start Wolford to keep this game close. I'm getting more than a field goal. I think this game screams 17-14. I'm going to take the Rams here getting the points. Well, I wish you good luck with that one, sir. I do. Next up, we are going to your game. Saturday night, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Washington football team. The Bucs are laying eight and a half. Are you taking your own team? Every fiber in my being is telling me not to, but I am anyway. I'm, I believe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will, I think they're going to squeak one out. Even though they're giving eight and a half, they're, the Washington football team is definitely going to cover that. I think they win by a field goal, maybe five points. Yeah, so I agree with you there. I agree with your gut. We take the Washington football team to cover the number because, as I said before, pass rush. Tom Brady has trouble with teams that can rush for. Washington can do that. Washington at home is going to be dangerous. And the two teams that have won recently, home division games, sub-500 records, they've won the first games. That's something I would be terrified of if I was a Tampa Bay fan. So, including also, a Arians over Rivera over Arians 2014. The last two times the Buccaneers have been in the playoffs, they faced the NFC East team and they lost both times. The last time they were in the playoffs, they lost to the Giants. The time before that, against the then Washington Redskins, lost that game. So history may repeat itself, but I think Tampa Bay will do it. All right, so we're both taking the football team getting the points here. Next up, Sunday afternoon, 105 on the ESPN Megacast. Ravens at the Titans. Ravens laying three and a half. Where are you going, Charlie? I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans. Um, they're home. They're, they're the underdog, even though they're at home. Um, this is kind of one of the easier picks for me. I just love Derrick Henry, and I love what Mike Rabel's done with the Tennessee Titans. Um, Lamar Jackson's going to have to wait one more year. Um, and next year, I think next year the Ravens don't make it to the Super Bowl next season. But that is not, now is not their time. I'm actually going head-to-head to, -head to you here again. I'm taking the Ravens laying the three and a half. It's a team that's red hot down the stretch. They've won five in a row. They've blown out four teams in a row. And I just can't trust that Tennessee defense. I know that the offense is phenomenal, but... They have been giving up points left and right down the stretch. Baltimore has been red hot. J.K. Dobbins running game. Lamar Jackson's hot. I think they get the playoff win here. I think they cover the three and a half. I think it's a seven-point win for the Ravens. So we're going opposition once again. Hey, maybe I can bruise that gap. Yep, we can. Next up, the last NFC game on the board, the CBS Nickelodeon special here with the... <laughs> By the way, you're going to watch the Nickelodeon cast, see what kind of slime they do after Alvin Kamara scores a touchdown. I... I can't even say it's 2020 anymore. Yeah. This is a <laughs> new idea, but the Bears are at the Saints. The Saints are laying in nine and a half points. Biggest number on the board. Do you trust the Saints to cover it? No. Khalil Mack. I mean, that's really all I have to say. 
especially when Drew Brees, he's not been the Drew Brees of old. And if it's not Drew Brees, it's Deason Hill. I mean, I think the Saints win, but the Bears are able to cover. It's going to be, once again, the two NFC South teams. A lot, a lot closer than people would think. Yeah, this one is the trickiest one for me to pick because I know that the Saints are the much better team. I know it's tough for me to bet on Trubisky. I, I know this is also me thinking last year when I had the Saints thought they were going to cruise past the Vikings the first round and they lost at home in the Superdome. But I'm going to take the Saints here. I just can't put my faith in Trubisky going on the road against that defense. They'll make some big turnovers. I think the Saints will find a way to win by double digits. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the Saints. I'll lay the points, but I could barely see a scenario where you get that right and the Bears end up covering. So there's something about Drew Brees, and I know that he's retiring after this year. But I didn't, there may be a little extra motivation for him there, but I just there's just something about it. All right. uh, I can't put my finger on it. That's it. And last one, Brown Steelers Sunday night at 8:15 on NBC. This game started as four point spread for the Steelers, grown to six since the Stefanski news broke. Who are you taking? Prior to the news, I was taking the Browns, but now I am taking the Pittsburgh Steelers, even though the Steelers. Um, I think without a head coach, you can't really operate. Um, yeah, somebody could step in and surprise people, but you know, Mike Tomlin will have his team ready, and Ben Roethlisberger will be there after taking the week off. So I got to go with the Steelers at this point. I'm right there with you. I'm taking. I was taking the Steelers even before this news broke. I'm more confident about it now. Now I've got coach a big deal for Cleveland. Plus. People forget that Pittsburgh is very, very good. They have a tremendous defense. They, I think they found themselves in the Week 16 game against the Colts. They remember who they were offensively, found a way to win the game. Week 17, their backups almost beat Cleveland full strength and in Cleveland. And now they're going back to Pittsburgh. Cleveland's down a coast. They're down some key players. I think the Steelers are going to win this game by at least a touchdown and break the Browns' hearts again because the last time the Browns in the playoffs lost at Heinz Field first round 2002. I think it's going to happen again. I wish the Browns fans all the luck in the world. I just don't see it happening. I do not either. So to reset the picks here, starting with the Saturday game, Bills laying six and a half against the Colts. Charlie and I both like the Bills. Saturday afternoon, Rams, Seahawks. Seahawks laying four. Charlie is laying the points with the Seahawks. I'm taking them with the Rams. Saturday night, Bucks, Washington. Bucks laying eight and a half. We are both taking the points with Washington. Sunday. Game one, Ravens, Titans, Ravens laying three and a half. I will lay the points with the Ravens. Charlie's taking them with the Bucks. Wait, not the Bucks, the, the, the Titans. Bears, Saints. There are too many games this round, but we'll keep going anyway. <laughs> Charlie is taking the points with the Bears, getting nine and a half. I will lay them with the Saints, getting the nine and a half. And finally, Steelers, Browns on Sunday night. Steelers laying six. We are both taking that. Those are your picks for Wild Card Weekend. That's probably the biggest week I'll ever do on the picks because I feel like it's so many games. Well, next week there's... Four. So, what, four? Yeah. So, eight. And then we're doing... Four, two, one, the rest of the way. Not bad. Math. Yeah. Broadcast, broadcast majors, we, we don't do math, unless there's statistics. Yeah, unless you're trying to figure out, like, what like resolution you got to set the camera to. That's, that's the only math you figure out. Yeah. That, that and uh, when I was uh, doing live broadcasts yeah. before, In the we bef- realized. Uh, there were live stats on the website yeah. of the school. We would take notes by hand. Yeah, uh, we would count basketball points and assists, and it was all over the place. And somebody was like, "You know, they count that for you automatically, yeah. right?" We're like, "There you go." Now we do. Yep. 
So anyway, those are the picks for this week. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Sports Grace Alex Rosano. We're going to talk more about that Steeler-Brown game. Alex is a big Steelers guy. So I feel like he's, feel confident that he'll be talking to you about a Steeler win this time. A lot of my friends are Steelers fans, and I hope the best for them. Um, do you, though? I do. <laughs> it, because the last couple of years have been a lot of failed expectations, you know? Um, I think it was, what, two years ago? when they were supposed to win the Super Bowl with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, and both of them were gone. Yep. And they lost in the last game of the season. I mean, it now, with a little thing from Juju this year, ego has been checked from majority of the players. Even in his own right, Juju, his, he checked his ego. He stopped doing the whole dancing thing for TikTok. Which, if you know anything about hockey, yes, I do. You never step on the logo. Yeah. So to dance on the logos, I mean, he got what he deserved. So hopefully, he puts the team first mentality there, and the Steelers fans can celebrate something positive for the first time in a fairly long time. Yeah, that would be good, Charlie. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people find on social media? Keep on some of the stuff you're up to. Um. Follow me on Twitter. That's the the most that I use. Um, at I don't even know what, what my name is. I've changed it so many times. Uh, <laughs> at Charlie at Charlie Borges Jr. Um, I just came out with an article today for Pucks and Pitchforks, which is the uh, Devils website I, I uh, write for. It was a twenty five, a hundred word piece. Deep so, deep dive. Take a look. Deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. A, a long one. Yeah, it's a long one. Definitely some fun. Charlie, thanks for all the time. Also want to point out, I know you're a big Star Wars guy. I want to ask you offhand, have you ever seen the animated Clone Wars movie? I've seen the movie, and I'm currently watching the show. I'm, I think I'm in the middle of the second season. Um, it's funny you bring that up. My girlfriend's here uh, for the, uh, the week or whatever. Yeah. She's on break, and we watched all six of the first two trilogies in row one. And nice. I asked her what her rankings were and I don't agree with them, but I'm just happy that she's been able to watch all of the movies. And I don't know if I'm going to show her the new trilogy, the Disney trilogy. Yeah. That's a, that's a little, that's a little tough and go. Cause I mean, like that's one where you're kind of yeah. like, I would watch seven. I think seven is fine. A, I think you experience, and if she's if she's into it, go to nine. But otherwise, you can say, "Ah, forget." It. We'll we don't have to worry about that last one. That's what I said. I, I think we're going to watch seven, but eight and nine, she can do it on her own time. <laughs> I've, I've seen them twice. I, I don't need to see them again. You're good. I, I really don't. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we're going to talk about that next. We're doing a little Star Wars covers of the podcast, and we joined my buddies Pete and Nick. We're going to start our dive down the Clone Wars saga. We're going to talk about the film right after this. <laughs> We are back here on the podcast. We are doing some continuing Star Wars coverage. We did a lot of fun with the Mandalorian. We wrapped up the season a couple weeks ago. I had some listeners back and said, "Hey, 
you guys were fun on that panel. So let's, I'd love to hear more of you guys. So here we are. We're going to do some more stuff. First up, back with us. Big Star Wars fan is on right. Pete Cosidori. Pete, how are you? Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think this is going to be a great segment moving forward. Um, I'm doing well. Star Wars, always a fun time talking Star Wars. A um, little warm in my office, though. Yeah. So if I start sweat. Last time you had me, it was a root canal. Now I'm dying of heat exhaustion. So we're just we're rock and rolling for these podcasts. Yeah, one of these days I'll get Pete in a perfect condition. And yeah, he'll be I'll off feel, his game. I'll feel better about myself a little bit, maybe, with this. Yeah. Also with me today, uh, the guy who became one of these breakout Star Wars stars of the podcast, Nick Fry is here. Nick, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Um, doing the same as last time, I guess. Um, I got a new camera, so that's cool. Yeah, so... And look a little clearer for the audience, but uh, most, for, the, for the most part, I'm exactly the same as I was. Yeah, unfortunately, your New York Giants got completely gypped on Sunday football because I had a terrible viewing experience yesterday. Yeah, it sucked, but you know what? I mean, you can't complain when you win six games. Yeah. Yeah, you really can't. But anyway, we're gonna talk. The reason we're here is we're gonna do some Star Wars coverage because, as we talked about on the Mandalorian podcast, there's a lot of references to Clone Wars and Rebels in here. So, what we're gonna do is this is our basically our power from the finale podcast. Mine is Sandra Rosa, who already does a lot of segments. They want to put more on her plate, so the three of us can handle this. What we're gonna do here is we're gonna go through the Clone Wars basically in one segment, one month at a time. We're basically gonna do the movie today, the anime film actually wants a series, do a season a month, go through the seasons, and hopefully we get through that. Maybe get through Rebels before the next. Star Wars stuff attack, which is Book of Boba Fett and audience members. We are crossovers in the name fest. We do not have a name yet. So if you have a name, feel free to tweet at me or Pete. T- comment on the YouTube video. Nick will see it there. He doesn't he'll follow you there if you're keeping that stuff up. So sound good to you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure I could think of something too, but we got some suggestions and we'll go off that. Be nice. Yeah, the audience can crowdsource. That'll be nice. Yeah, I'm excited too about this whole segment in general, because um you know, I hadn't seen the show in a long time, Clone Wars, and Rebels I watched, I don't know, I saw the finale when the finale was, like, live, but I didn't watch, I had to, like, catch up, I didn't start with the show, so I'm just, it's been a while since I've seen the Clone Wars, maybe, like, five, six years since, I mean, I watched the finale about a year ago, but I hadn't seen, like, season two or whatever, season three in, like, six, seven years, so I was excited. Yeah, Nick has always seen them all before, Pete's background, you and I are about the same, but we had not seen this show before so we're starting the journey here yeah i don't know what you guys are talking about i'm i'm uh we're, we're here for the journey i'm here for the ride so we'll see uh we're gonna do what a season a month like you were saying so it's gonna be interesting nick I, if i remember correctly last time we were talking about this you said that the episodes aren't in order that's gonna mess me up completely yeah it doesn't really impact it at all like you'll notice I, we'll talk about this when we get to it but like i believe it's the second episode of the whole show takes place like a year later than the first but it doesn't matter like if you did, if i never told you that you never would have right okay all right so, so it won't matter we'll we'll try to follow it right so yeah. <laughs> my brain doesn't work like the, the normal humans does so my, i might get a little confused but we'll get it going um haven't seen the show before so i'm actually interested to to, to learn and experience the show that that might give me some backstory to the whole star wars uh clone clones and everything all that kind of that all, all jazz. within that time uh that'll be good to know that'll be good to know yeah it's, it's in my opinion it's the best time period star wars not that it's the best content I, I think it's great content but i think it's the best time period you have the clones who are really cool but it's a shame that they were for the empire but you know before that with the republic and then the jedi are still the 
good guys and like it, it's just a really cool time period in Star Wars where you want to root for that team to win and then like you want to and as opposed to like the Empire is really cool but you, you can't root for them the bad guys like this is like the good guys but they're like the cool guys at the same time it's hard to explain but you see I guess you see what I'm saying like it's kind of it's a cool time period in Star Wars it definitely is I'm looking forward to going back into it but we're gonna start it all off with the movie that this all launched from, which is Star Wars, The Clone Wars, the movie, the animated movie, directed by good old Dave Filoni, he, who we've seen on the Mandalorian coverage back in 2008. And it was written by the trio of Henry Gelroy, Stephen Melching, and Scott Murphy. This is... We're going to spoil this movie because, I mean, obviously it's been out for about 13 years, so if you have not seen it yet, that's on you. But we're going to give you a... Very brief warning as to what's going on here with the movie. We're going to give you the classic spoiler warning as I try and find it. Here we go. Yep, we have a issue. We have the Clone Wars here, and we lost Nick for a second. We'll get him back in. But Pete, I have to say, not a good movie. You know, I, we talk about good movies all the time, right? We talk about, like, what considered it to be a good movie when it comes to Star Wars. It wasn't the worst thing I've seen. Uh, you know, a lot of action in there, a lot of uh, storyline that I can get behind. Execution, maybe not the greatest. Um, acting, maybe not the greatest. <laughs> um, it, it's just, it... it it gets a little wonky because it's voice acting. And then I feel like maybe the actors were in use to voice acting. I could be wrong. Cause I was trying to look at the credits and I, and I kept missing them because I'm just an idiot. Was Obi-Wan played by Ewan McGregor? No. So it was, it no, was, he always... was um, I believe he was James Arnold Taylor. Okay. So it like, it was almost close to me. Like I was listening to it. I was like, I can't, as I was, I can't tell if that's, the Obi-Wan from the movies, like I could tell it wasn't Anakin from the movies. Like I yeah. knew it wasn't Aiden Christensen. Like that wasn't. There, there were a few characters who are played by their um, real actors. So Count Dooku is Christopher Lee. Mace Windu is Samuel Jackson. Right. I think um, R2 and 3PO, or R2 is just noises, but 3PO is Anthony Daniels. And the rest is all, is all new actors. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so that threw me off a bit because I recognized Samuel Jackson. I recognized C3PO. So I was like, I know Anakin Skywalker is not the right person. Um, I think the voice actors probably weren't used to voice acting. It was very choppy. I, I don't know if you guys got that vibe, but just as they were interacting, it was just very choppy. Almost like I recorded this part of the segment, and then you try to splice it with Nick's answer, and then you try to splice it with your own answer. Yeah, and it's definitely not great voice acting, but Nick, I was talking about it was not a great movie, and can you give me the... I feel like you could distill the plot down to about three sentences of this movie. Basically, here's what I take away from it. Jabba the Hutt's son gets kidnapped by the Separatists who are trying to frame the Jedi that are doing it in order to basically control the trade routes through the Outer Rim. That becomes its own thing. Jabba's uncle's involved, and Anakin picks up Ahsoka to know that. Is that the movie in, in about three sentences? Yeah, that's that's literally it, and I think that it's a it's something that you're gonna see in the Clone Wars the whole time too, which is the whole entire show for the most part. Besides the fighting, is gonna be the Separatists and the Republic trying to gain support from another planet. That's basically what it's gonna be. You're gonna see that back and forth, just 
and it makes sense. I mean, you're trying to gain support from other, you know, other planets, other species, whatever it may be, and that's that's their goal. I think, and you're going to see a lot of it. But I, I, you know, the worst part of the movie, in my opinion, is Jabba's uncle. I think that that was just like that was ridiculous. But uh, yeah, Jabba's uncle. I mean, he was bad, and I mean, I felt like it was just like. They did a very – I think this is not, like, aging well in the PC era. I feel like they made him, like, an evil gay uncle. Like, is that – am I wrong in that, Nick? That's what it seems like. I don't really like, – I don't really know exactly. <laughs> but, I, you know, it, they, like Pete said, like, the choppy audio, I feel the same way with the animation. I think the animation wasn't good. The audio wasn't good. Like, none of the movie – the acting wasn't that good. I feel like none of the movie was good. Yeah. Yeah, Pete, I think in terms of the animation, I mean, does it to me, or did the whole movie feel like it was either like blue or gray? There was like no real shades in between. Yeah, a lot of the same colorways in the movie, but what it got me was just the the, the sure speed of everything. Yeah. I just, they, they, with the animation of, of the like lightsaber battles running, like it just seemed like because they were animated, they were going like 10 times faster than what a regular human could do. And fine, I get it. Like it's animation, it's fake, it's cartoon, quote unquote, if you want to call it that. But like, no one is going that quick. I mean, even in the movies, because the human body can't go that quick, they're not. So, like, I wish they emulated that a little bit better, and they try to make it more human-like, just in an animated way. Um, it just made it a little too cartoony for me, just a little too quick. Uh, and that probably added to the choppiness of the animation, because everything was going so quickly. Yeah, I also think one thing that bothered me, and I don't know if you felt this way about Nick, I feel like I read online that, like, basically this was the pilot of the series. They basically threw three episodes together, and that was the movie. And I do, you can tell, it's like basically, like, oh, like, here's one clear thing you could wrap up in an episode, here's another one, and then here's a third one. I don't feel like there's not really a cohesive story here. It was just, like, three separate episodes sta- stapled together and packaged the movie. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, exactly what it was. I, I just it's so hard to watch that movie and even the first couple of episodes, even for the first season or two and think this is the same show that ended this past April that was airing this past April to show the finale where the finale, I was like at the edge of my seat in that finale or the whole season, the way I was with like the Mandalorian to think that this movie created that type of hype is really crazy, but you'll see when you get there, it just keeps getting better. It definitely does. And I will point out my big issue with the movie is the insistence on the stupid nicknames. I mean, between the Sky Guy and the Snips and the Stinky, I'm like, do we realize that this is, I know that they, it's supposed to be a cartoon, but like, do we have to dumb it down to like a four-year-old level? So there's actually, of all the nicknames you said, I think they're all ridiculous, except I, I like a lot that Ahsoka calls Anakin Sky Guy because he is, and it, doesn't, and it doesn't matter what she called him, just a nickname in general, because you could see at the beginning of the movie, he does not want a Padawan. He thinks it's a mistake when it's given to him instead of Obi-Wan. And this is really important to testing his patience, getting some annoying girl. Like, a, you know, <clears throat> Ahsoka is a great Star Wars character. In The Mandalorian, she's a mature woman. She's, she's a great character. But at this point in the show, in you know, at this point in this timeline, she sucks. She's very <laughs> annoying. She's an annoying little girl. I think that's perfect. Throw an annoying little girl at him with nicknames and try to like calm him down, test his patience a little bit. So like, if Star Wars were real, I like that for Anakin. That's a great person to pair him up with to slow him down a little bit, bring him back to Earth. Now we all know it didn't actually work, but I think it was. I do like that she's like testing his patience in a way without knowing it, but. I think that's good for the character. Yeah, I think it is too. And Pete, I will say the 
thing that caught my eye in this movie also, like, Jabba's son, like, literally being, like, a tiny little toad if, and coming off of Mandalorian where we had Baby Yoda being cute. This to me did not work. I, well, it's Jabba's son. I mean, it's not going to be cute like Baby Yoda. I mean, I yeah, but like slug-like creature. Um, I think it didn't work because the the as much as the the you know the son was very uh, what's the word I'm looking for adventurous and oh I'm going to leave the little backpack and leave. I feel like Baby Yoda is more personified because it has powers and it and um, you the whole two seasons are based upon protecting Baby Yoda. For this, it's three episodes worth or one movie worth of, well, we have to get this son back. And honestly, we only see the son for maybe like, what, 45 minutes of the movie, if I'm being generous. Yeah. Um, we know about it. We, we understand what's going on, but it doesn't get into saving that son until maybe the second episode, if you mash him th- through or uh, the end of the second episode. Um it also doesn't work for me because I just I feel like also too if you're a Star Wars fan you know Jabba the Hutt is no saint. Yeah. It's like you're kind of doing yeah you know, deal and it's not like you're making a deal with the devil but like it's almost like all right we'll help your son we'll help you get your son but we want something in return because we know what kind of person you are what kind of business alien you are and and what goes on in your part of the world so I, I think that's why it doesn't work. Yeah, I think I agree with that and let's do a quick around the horn here, Nick. Who is your like I think I I don't think there's any MVP in this movie. I don't think any character really comes off well in this. I actually I think one character came off a little bit well, and that was Ventress. She made her introduction, Asaz Ventress. She she's very she's a very badass character, and she's pretty cool in the movie, and she only gets cooler. But she's the only character that I wasn't looking at, and I was like, oh, either any character from the previous movies who was in this, I thought to myself, oh boy, they ruined that character. And any character that's new, I'm like, all right, I don't care about this character. Except the size ventures, I had interest in her. And if I had never seen the show, like I'm in your guys' position, I'd be excited to see what happens with her. She seems really, she seems like a badass. Yeah, and just to clarify, I know that there's the rule of two with the Sith. Like, how is her being there not break the rule? So technically, she's not because she's still a Padawan, if you will. So she doesn't really count because she didn't graduate or ever. But also, I think that the rule two in general is kind of flawed in that I think the goal of the Sith is always to have to kill the master, get a new apprentice. And I think a lot of times that the apprentice is thinking about killing the master before it's already happened. So think of it as like Dooku's plan is to overthrow the emperor or Sidious and have Vendress his, his his apprentice. So he has the apprentice, then he'll kill Palpatine and he'll take over. So he has to have someone, you know, in line. I think it makes sense. And I think that's his, obviously he doesn't, he doesn't you know, fulfill that goal. He gets killed by Anakin, but I think his plan is to overthrow the emperor and have um, Ventress as his um, apprentice going forward and ruling the Republic, eventually the empire. Yeah, so, P, I'm going to go to you here. Who, of all the characters, who was the worst of this movie? The worst? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be zero. It has to be. Can I pick one? Uh, I, I, I didn't... If you need a second, oh. I go to Nick. <laughs> it has to be okay. zero. It has to be. Yeah. It's, I saw it, that character, say... and I was like, what is that? What did you say, Nick? Zero. zero. Um, Jabba's uncle. Yeah, so so Jabba's uncle is definitely top. I, 
I can't get over the acting of Anakin, like in in either movie. Like I just I I feel like they couldn't like do better with Anakin. He's like the limelight of all this. Like that bothers me so much. Jabba's uncle, I'd I'd have to agree with Nick. Probably the worst character. Didn't even have to go that route with him. He could have just been another Jabba. He could be another hut that was in another spot that had people working for him. They didn't have to go the route they did. I, yeah, probably, probably zero. Yeah, probably Jabba's uncle. Um, and he just, it was so minute. Like, yeah, he helped him, but it helped Dooku, but like, it was just so minute and just so unnecessary. And he was bad on top of that. Yeah. Plus, Zero himself is a very, very bad villain because, like, literally, like, he, like, doesn't do anything like with like I mean Padme is the one who exposed him in the movie and then like he lets her linger for way too long is like a power villain like hey like either you kill her immediately or like you send her out somewhere so she can't spread your word like not like let her hang around and, and like talk in the background of your transmission that's like extremely dumb villaining. It was an awful awful character, but I will touch on what Pete said about the acting on Anakin. Now I'm not going to defend Hayden Christensen at all, but I do think I, I've read something that. A lot of the acting was due to the writing, which you know, the writing wasn't good either. But if you look or like really listen to some of the lines that Anakin had, and especially episode three, a lot of the lines he had that are just sound extremely cheesy and corny. Like, what is he saying? Like when he says to Obi-Wan, he says, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. You're like, oh God. But the reason they made those lines, I read this, is that if you imagine Vader saying that exact line, that's what he would say. Yeah. Like that's, that's a Vader line. Like the, the lines that Vader that's says in four or five, six, those, that's the way he talked. That's how they made Anakin sound. Like then he sounded ridiculous because he's not a cyborg. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. It's actually interesting that you bring that up. Like, I wonder if you just dubbed James Earl Jones into episode three and if everything that Anakin says, if it makes that character better. If he, if he had the suit on, for the majority Sean, of the prequels. James yeah. Earl Jones voiceover. Like, I wonder how powerful the character would be made out to be then. That's a really good point. And so I, think, like, I think, you know, continuity. we touched on this too. Yeah, we touched on this too uh, last time when we were talking about the Mandalorian. And, and Nick, you had mentioned that, you know, George Lucas had told Hayden Christensen, this is the way I want you to talk. And this is how I want you to act it. And I don't know, like you were speculating too. You don't know if that was George Lucas trying to cover up for his acting ability or, yeah. or writing. But that... That's actually a really good point. I wonder if someone has done that on YouTube or something where they dubbed in just like a James Earl Jones voice over the lines that even without the suit, just just the voice right, yeah. on Anakin, just to see if that tone and also the way James Earl Jones presents lines in the film, if that would made the performance way better. Yeah, I mean, it's like the lines that he said, like imagine in episode four when he's face-to-face with Obi-Wan and the Death Star, he says to him... Um, you know, the last time I left you, I was a learner. Now I'm the master. Imagine Anakin saying that. It would sound right. horrible. Yeah. Right. I think that's why it is. It's continuity. It makes sense, but at the sacrifice of a movie that yep. has bad dialogue. It's a great, that's a great, that's a great bridge. That's a great bridge to make, Nick, because I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's a, definitely a great point. And I de- want to touch on before we move on from this movie. I don't think there's much, to, there's no me, not a lot of me on the bone here, but we have to talk about Ahsoka to know who is the character of the movie that, becomes the character of Clone Wars. Like, basically, this becomes her show. And it's, as Nick said before, you look at this movie, you watch for her, and you're sitting there thinking, this is the character that I see in Mandalorian who is, like, a badass and, like, is, like, one of the coolest characters on the screen, and we get this whiny child beginning of this. This, like, it's amazing to think how far they took the character. In my mind, 
her character is the definition of character development. She goes from everyone on the screen wants to strangle her. You want to kill her. You want to strangle her. She's horrible. Get her out of here. Give me more, you know, give me more. Even if you didn't like the prequels, even if you did, give me more of that. It's better than this. And then by the end of it, it's like, how could I have said that about that character? She, when she, she's in Star Wars Rebels. I mean, that's not a spoiler at this point. The show is eight years old, but or six years old. I'm so not like, gonna watch it. <laughs> when, she, when when she's in Rebels, like when you, I'm not gonna tell you how she shows up. I'll leave that for when the show. But when she shows up, you're like, oh my god, that's Ahsoka. When she's in uh, Mandalorian, she puts the lightsabers on like that. At the same time, it's like, oh my god, that's Ahsoka. And to think that it went from, I want to, you know, to oh my god, that's Ahsoka. That's character development. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And I want to ask you two questions about specifically because you're the guy who's seen this series before, which is number one, where in the canon of the show is the movie? Is it sort of like, is it something that happened before the, sh- the show? Is it in the continuity of the show somewhere? Like, where is this fault? It's, it's the beginning. It's the start. It's, I would imagine where we are at the beginning of that movie is probably a few weeks to a few months after the attack of the clones. Okay. That makes so this is right when it starts, and then by the end of the show, it'll be at the end of episode three. Because when you get to the last season, it's going to run side and side with episode three. Okay, that's good to know. That's number one, number two, like obviously you learn about Ahsoka to know what other characters from the movie, besides the main people, do we do we learn here? We need to follow with Rock Clone Wars the the show. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Asajj Ventress, very cool character. I like her a lot. And then, I mean, that's about it. But, I mean, you can count General Grievous in there, because if you think about it, we only really saw Grievous in episode three, and he was dead about halfway in. So he's going to play a much bigger role in this show. And that's really important, because Grievous, uh, Count Dooku even a little bit, and, like, a lot of these characters, if you watch the prequels over, because episode one was, like, Anakin's a little kid and all that stuff, you don't really get to know these characters until, like, episode two, like, halfway through. So I rewatched the prequels, you know, not that long ago. And I'm thinking, and I always thought, how many times do we see these guys all fight together? You know, Mace Windu, all these guys. And I didn't realize you don't even know Windu has a purple lightsaber until there's 10 minutes left in episode two. And I, I grew up thinking, oh, Mace Windu, purple lightsaber, Samuel Jackson. Like, it, it give the, the, these characters, because there was so much to cover in those three movies that maybe they didn't do a good job with them. But I still, I still enjoy those, at least for the story aspect. But Maybe they didn't, you know, there's so much to cover that these characters didn't get their time to shine at all. Like, there's characters in episode three that you see die during Order 66, and you're like, who's that guy? Yeah. Like, I don't know, who's this? Who, who, I, I recognize him a little bit from the Jedi Temple, but that's it. Like, you get to know these characters, like, really well. Yeah. Like, you get to know everything about them, and that's really important for when you do actually sit back and watch episode three after you've seen the Clone Wars, you actually feel it when those guys die. Definitely an interesting point for sure. And Pete, that's a series that we're going to have for the first time because we are diving into this. We're going to be start watching this show every month. I mean, I've watched an episode of season one. I watched the first episode. It was fine. It was better than the movie because in my opinion, I'll, I'll let Nick speak to that effect. But I think honestly, guys, like if you don't have the nine, the hundred minutes to kill, I don't think you need to watch this movie to get the gist of Clone Wars. Nope. You just have to know that exactly what you had said earlier when you summarized the movie, like, that took you like 10 seconds. That's it. Yeah, yeah, Pete, would you recommend just going on Wikipedia instead of watching this movie? Spark note it. I mean, I, or listen to this podcast. Honestly, just listen to this podcast. 
start with episode one. I haven't started the the, uh, the show yet or series yet. The show, yeah. But um, I'm excited. Just really quick from Nick was saying because I had an idea about Mandalorian back from the last uh, podcast, so I have an idea about this. I wonder because I were talking about if we made the prequels or the, all the movies a show, right? Um, and see how they would have done there. I wonder how Star Wars would have done in an MCU kind of format where there was a couple of Mace Windu movies and there's a couple of Obi-Wan movies and there's a couple of other, you know, main character Yoda. movies. And then the Avengers were like yeah. episodes one through six or whatever it was where everyone meets up and you have this story. I wonder if they would have had also more success storytelling if they would have went the MCU format. I think story-wise it would have benefited, but I think, I actually, I think the DC model would work more for Star Wars than, than the Marvel model like having the big one first okay. and then splitting off into the characters, essentially kind of what they've done, like with Solo. Right. I think uh, DC is a disaster, but <laughs> work here. Yeah, I think for sure. I think there's a lot of meat to chew on here at the show. I mean, I watched the first episode. I, I enjoyed it. It was much better than the movie, but that's not that's a very low bar to clear. But I do think next we're going to go through season by season as we go here, so... Next month, we're aiming by mid-February for this. It's not locked in a date yet. We're going to do season one. We're going to talk all about season ones of the big favorite episodes, favorite characters, stuff like that. Go through all seven seasons. And if, if we have time, maybe we'll get into Rebels too. That's sort of the mission statement of this part, second of the podcast. That sounds good to you, Pete. I, I'm down. You let me know a date when everything needs to be watched by, and I'll, I'll binge. Yeah, and Nick is going back along for the ride with us. Nick is basically the Yoda to, I don't know if I'm Anakin or you're Anakin, and one of us is Ahsoka, so Nick is Obi-Wan in this, this adventure. I think, I think I appreciate being Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's one of the best characters, but I think, as you said, we might touch on Rebels. I think we have to touch on Rebels. I think we have to watch it. Yeah. So if that means maybe doing, like, two seasons in one month to just so we can squeeze Rebels in before December, I think we have to. Yeah, because the way I looked at it, there's seven seasons of Clone Wars and there's four of Rebels, so we might have to yeah. do like a back to back at the end of Rebels. But like, so you might have to do like one double or whatever the however the math works out. But like, I mean, it's it's a must. Yeah, yeah, I think I think too, just just format wise, right? I mean, was it like 18 episodes a season, 18 to 20? Yeah, it's like tw- I think it's like tw- I think it's like the most is like 22, I think, for an episode. Okay, so like, I think we could. I think um, I also think I, I'm pretty sure season six is only thirteen, and I think season seven is only like ten. Oh, so we could probably double up on that one. Yeah, that could be the yeah. that could be the spot where you double up because they could, yeah. you, you, or we could double up at the end of Rebels because like, now Rebel the end then, of Rebels is short. And Rebels is four seasons of a, of a normal series, like twenty two each. Yeah. All right. So we'll figure we'll, the math will get figured out. We'll let you guys know yeah. what's coming up next. So definitely for February, it's going to be Clone Wars season one. Which there is, I've looked on the Wikipedia, there are sort of themes for the season. This is not a themed one. It's sort of like, oh, this is general, like, random events happening. So am, am I correct on that? Yeah, I think we start getting into themes. You can, if you looked at it, you would know better, but I think around season three or four. Yeah, so like I said, season two is something with bounty hunters, and then season one is just, like, nothing listed for themes. Oh, yeah, so season two, even better. Okay. All right, so that's what's coming up next month. I want to thank you guys for coming on. This is sort of the teaser, the pilot brag here. If you guys want to, in the audience, give us ideas what the name of this segment will be, feel free to let us know. But P, how can you find on social media if they want to keep up with you? Uh, on Twitter at PJConstantori29. I'll retweet out this podcast and everything. A couple of retweets about the Rangers hockey season starting up. So definitely give me a follow. And Nick, obviously, Nick is more. Nick is not a big social media guy, but Nick will follow, follow you, you. If, you let, if you let him know what where to follow you. So leave your handles in the comments, and I'll follow you. You know, That's, comment on this video, get the algorithm going. Yeah, we'll use the SEO. Nick was Nick's a big SEO guy.
right. All right. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. All right. And that will do for this week's show. I thank all our guests today. Will Schneiderhan hopped on the open, talk about the Adam Gase firing. Daryl Slay from the Star Ledger talking all about the football, the Jets, the Giants, the playoffs. Charlie Borders for doing the NFL picks. And Pete Considori, Nick Freyetta starting our Star Wars monthly coverage. It'll be a fun time indeed. Still need a name for that segment. Feel free to tweet at us if you have any ideas. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my New Year's resolutions for all the New York sports teams, I covered all nine. And yes, I did get the Devils this time. Check out the blog over justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all episodes there. You can also subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe there. Leave your feedback and starting as well. Make this podcast even better going forward. You can also on my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can check out some of these Zoom videos on the YouTube. That's awesome. It would be great if you do that. That would be fantastic. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And coming up next week on the podcast, we have a fun show playing more Jets, NFL picks, maybe some pop culture, who knows, and more. Until then, have a better week than the Giants fans did. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.